Good morning. Young theologians, I'd like to remind you that we have those worship notes out in the foyer. If you're interested, please go grab those, and I'll, I'll try to highlight some things that I want you to write today. Well, it's wonderful to be back with you, Catherine and I and our children. We had a wonderful vacation. We did all the things that you should do in Florida. We went to Walt Disney World, we went to the beach, and we saw some alligators. So we, we did it all. And it is a joy to be back here. Happy New Year to you all. This morning, we're jumping back into Philippians. So go ahead and turn there with me to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 27. Now, three weeks ago, the sermon that I preached was on the first part of verse 27 in chapter 1 of Philippians. And what I argued was that our response to the gospel is based upon the value and the worth of the gospel. And because the gospel is of extreme and eternal value, therefore our response to it is total and complete. What Jesus demands of us is not just a little sacrifice or a little obedience, but total, complete, that because of who Jesus is, because of how wonderful he is, no amount of sacrifice can actually satisfy the worth of the gospel. It's always worth it. Jesus is always worth the sacrifice and the effort. That's what I argued three weeks ago. And this morning we're going to be continuing that thought. Look with me in 127. I'll read through the first part of verse 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We covered that. But look at this, the, the next two words. You see that so that? That is very important. What we'll be preaching on today is built upon the commandment found in verse 27. And the commandment in verse 27 is essentially to live holy lives. As Christians, God calls us to live holy in holiness. Our lives are to be different than the world. We are to magnify and glorify Jesus Christ with our lives. And that idea of holiness has consequences, positive consequences. It has consequences for the corporate body. So this so that is linking the notion of holiness with unity. Let's keep reading. So that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The material that follows the so that is built upon what precedes the so that. Holiness has consequences for the body of Christ. The holier we are, the more sold out for Christ we are as a church, the more we seek to have our lives properly respond to the worth and value of the gospel, the greater our corporate unity will be as a church. That's the big idea. That's the broad idea I'll be talking about this morning, and I've titled this morning's sermon, Holiness and Unity, to communicate that idea. But here at Community Bible Church, we're not just content with the big idea, we wanna see the nitty-gritty details. After all, our middle name is Bible. So we're going to dive into those details, and I have two points for you this morning, and the two points correspond to the picture of unity 
that Paul is painting for us. Paul describes what unity is in our passage this morning, and he uses two main ideas to communicate what unity looks like. First point, this is my first point, if you take notes, write this, standing firm, standing firm. This is the first picture of what unity looks like, and I get that, I get this point in verse 27, so that whether I come to you and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. This first point, standing firm, comes from the passage. Paul's desire is that the Philippians would be standing firm. And the statement of whether I come to you and see you or am absent, Paul is talking about his desire to see the Philippians. Paul is imprisoned. We've gone over that a number of times in this series on Philippians. And Paul has this desire to reunite with the Philippians. But he's not sure if he'll be able to. But his desire, whether he can see them or not, his desire is that they would stand firm. And this standing firm refers to unity. It refers to the corporate identity of the body and that they're standing firm as a whole against opposition. And this word for standing firm, it means this. To be firmly committed in conviction or belief to be firmly committed in conviction or belief. To be firmly committed to something is not to be just kinda sorta committed. In our our culture here in Pierre, there is this cultural Christianity. There is this fair weather Christianity that is quite thick here. And Paul is calling the church in Philippi, he's calling us to not a sort of half-hearted commitment, a type of unity that's based upon just a little bit of commitment going back to this radical notion of following Christ. Paul is calling for the church as a whole to stand firm together, to be fully committed to the work of the gospel in Philippi. This idea can be pictured as a soldier in war, and as the opposition comes, he remains committed to his task. He will not forsake his post. He'll be committed, and he'll finish the job. And that's what church unity looks like here. That's what we want to aspire to have here. That as a whole body, we stand committed, firm, in the mission of God's work here. And Paul has this very important prepositional phrase. Young theologians, if you have your vocab words, words I don't know, preposition might be one of them. I'd I'd suggest you write that word down, preposition. Prepositions matter. Grammar matters in the Bible. And this word, standing firm, is modified by a prepositional phrase. Look with me. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. That in one spirit, that phrase, is modifying the verb, standing firm. Paul's telling us how we stand firm. And the way we stand firm is in one spirit. Rarely... Rarely will I disagree with the ESV. The ESV here, as you notice, if you have an ESV, spirit here is undercase. It's not capitalized. If you have an NIV or a TNIV, you'll find that the word spirit is capitalized. And there's a difference of meaning here. 
I side with the NIV. I think this is referring to a type of standing firm in the person of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So I think that the ESV doesn't do the best job here. I think it's referring to the Holy Spirit. And to prove this, turn with me to Ephesians 4. I want to show you elsewhere in Paul where he refers to a unity that is found in the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I'll read through verse 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What you see here, right at the very beginning, Paul is in prison, verse one, and he tells the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's very similar to Philippians 1.27. And then Paul proceeds to talk about church unity, verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit. So here we have in Ephesians 4, we have Paul talking about, from prison, his desire for the Ephesians to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And the way they do that is they have unity in the spirit. Now turn back with me to Philippians 1. I contend this morning that that's the same idea that Paul is stating in in our passage this morning. When Paul says to stand firm in one spirit, what he means is to stand firm in the Holy Spirit, in his ministry, in what he does. Pastor, what does the Holy Spirit do? What is his job? I'm so glad you asked. What a wonderful question. The Holy Spirit has one job. His job is to deflect and put attention on Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is like a spotlight. The more you know the Holy Spirit, the more you're going to know Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He deflects attention away from himself and puts it on Jesus Christ. And he does that in two ways. He convicts us of sin. He shows us the depth of our wickedness. And he also shows us the goodness and the beauty and the grace of Jesus Christ. He shows us Jesus. And he applies the work of Christ to our hearts. That's what he does. And to have this type of unity, to stand firm in the spirit, is to stand firm not in the transient things of life, not in the things that don't matter, not in the things like the personality of a pastor, not in the personality of members, not in worship experience, not in any of these transient things, not in any human thing. What Paul is doing is saying, we do not find unity here. We find unity in heaven. That's where we find our identity. And that's where we find our unity. Whenever Catherine and I were in Dallas, we went to one church for about eight years, the same church for quite a while. And about four years in to our time at this church, the elders decided that they wanted to change out the pews that they had in the sanctuary for more contemporary seating like we have here. 
And whenever they made that decision, about 10% of the congregation left. That is not standing firm in the Holy Spirit. We do not find our Christian identity, our identity as a church, in the seating or in the worship experience or in any other human thing. Our call as a body is to stand firm in what the Holy Spirit does. And what the Holy Spirit does is he convicts people of sin. We want this to be a place, dear person, where you feel conviction, where you feel the power of God bearing upon you, where you feel God telling you that your life is not right. But also, we want this place to be a place of great hope, that your sin is overcomable, that Jesus Christ is enough for you, and that because he has risen from the dead, you can now have hope, peace, and joy in this life through the forgiveness of sins. That's what we stand firm in. That's where our unity is found. It's found in the work of the Holy Spirit. Second point. Paul gives us another picture. Look with me right at the end of verse 27. With one mind, striving side by side, for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. The picture here, the point here, write this. Striving side by side. So the first picture was standing firm and the second point, the second picture, the second image of unity is striving side by side. That's the second point. And this notion of striving, this is what it means. To strive side by side is this. To contend, to struggle, to fight alongside someone else. To contend, to struggle, to fight alongside someone else. Paul is dealing with unity here within a warfare motif. The Bible gives very many different images of how the Christian life is to be, how church life is to be. One of those motifs, which runs throughout the Bible, is this notion of fighting, of war. Ephesians 4, put on the whole armor of God. Well, why do you put on armor? To fight. You put on armor to wage a war. And this notion of struggling has those overtones. Church unity is not something that just comes to those who don't fight for it. Church unity is something that you have to seek out. You've got to struggle for it. You've got to fight for it. It's hard to bear with other people. But what the Lord calls us to is to fight with all our might not against one another, but with one another. And what it is we fight is not flesh and blood. We fight sin. We fight unbelief. We fight the work of the devil. That's what we fight. 
but we do it together as a church, as a body, as a corporate whole, struggling together with one another. And once again, Paul has this, he has two prepositional phrases here. There's this phrase, with one mind. It precedes this striving side by side. To show you, to tell you what this means, to to strive together with others, with one mind, to describe what that means, turn with me to Philippians 4.2. Philippians 4.2 The church in Philippi had conflict. Every church has conflict. This side of heaven, there will always be conflict. And Paul's addressing that conflict here, and that conflict is between two women. He, he specifically names them. Philippians 4.2 I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes verse, three, yes, verse 3, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now there's two verbal links, there's two grammatical links between our passage in Philippians in, in chapter 1 and this passage. In verse, two, in verse 3 here, Philippians 4, 3, it, Paul says that these women have labored side by side. The same, that same verb occurs in our passage in Philippians 1, 27, about struggling side by side with one another. So the unity that Paul's trying to tell Philippi to have is what these women once had. But conflict arose. Paul, does it, Paul isn't specific about the conflict. And what is Paul's commandment to these women? to agree however once again we have this prepositional phrase not just to agree we're not just called to get along with one another in the body we're not just called to agree with one another that's very hard you can't this side of heaven good luck trying to find agreement between two people the commandment is this agree in the Lord that's different That's different than just agreeing. Our commandment as Christians, what Paul is saying here, is that we are to agree in the Lord with other Christians. Go back to Philippians 1. This striving side by side with one mind, what this means is that Christians are called to labor with one another while they agree with one another in the Lord. The one mind that we have The one mission that we have is our shared confession. It's the gospel. It's the story of the person and work of Christ. It's that Christ has died for our sins. And he is now in heaven and has sent his Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him. And our job, our mission, is to take that message to the farthest reaches of this world and to share that message. That's our calling. That's what we're supposed to do. And unity, the way we're supposed to struggle is with that one mind, with that determined purpose of glorifying God through through seeing people saved. That's our purpose. And then Paul says this, another prepositional phrase. With one mind, at the end of verse 27, 
with one mind, striving side by side. Well, what do we strive for, pastor? As a church, as Christians, what are we supposed to strive for? We're supposed to strive for money. No. For comfort. No. For earthly pleasure. No. CBC, this is what we're supposed to strive for together as a church. For the faith of the gospel. Faith and gospel here are working as synonyms of one another. He's talking about the same thing. We are to strive. We are to fight for the gospel. Jesus is worthy of our fight. He is worth it. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. It's always and only about him. He has risen from the dead. He has saved us. And he has given us a spirit to empower us. And as we seek to do this, as we seek to struggle and fight along with our Christian brothers and sisters in Christ, we're going to experience opposition. There's going to be those who oppose the work of the gospel. That opposition can come from either outside or inside the church. And when that opposition comes, we are to be courageous. We are to not back down. We are to be loving and kind, but courageous. Verse 28. Let's start again in, in verse, at the end of verse 27. With one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Paul is not specific here with who these opponents are. He does not tell us who is opposing this work. I imagine that it's those outside the church. I imagine that in the Greco-Roman culture of the day, the Philippians are evangelizing and they're being persecuted. And we'll actually cover that persecution in, the next, in next week's sermon. So there's persecution. But also, we know that the the church is a a mixing of Christians and non-Christians. And opposition as well can come from within the church. And I think even from Christians. Christians can become confused and oppose the work of the gospel. So there's going to be opposition, dear Christian. As we strive, as we seek to mature as a body, there's going to be opposition to, to the work of the gospel. But when it comes, we are to not be sissies. Christianity, if you are Christian, you are not a sissy. Jesus has risen from the dead and he has filled you with his resurrection power. And that power lives inside of you and grants you courage and boldness. And when opposition occurs, we are to not be frightened in anything. Our struggling side by side is to be one of courage, of strength, of boldness, not cowering not being fearful but advancing being loving, being kind but not being fearful having courage Martin Luther one of my favorite theologians the reformer, he nailed the 95 theses on the the door of the church and the church in Germany and it started the Protestant Reformation and he has this famous song that we still sing today The song is called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. 
And there's one line in here that I think greatly captures this notion of courage for the Christian. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. That's our confession. That's the type of courage that we have as Christians. That God's work will go on. And that no matter what happens to us, we have hope. And that hope gives us boldness and courage. What Paul is doing in this passage is Paul is describing church unity. He's telling us the type of unity that he wants the church in Philippi and also us here at CBC to have. Now, if you'll notice in our passage, there are no commandments given. There are no commandments given in this passage. The commandment is found in verse 27 at the beginning. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's the commandment. The consequences of the commandment are what we've been talking about today. Sometimes it's hard to draw commandments or, Pastor, how should I live? How should I respond to this message? Sometimes it's hard to draw commandments and and application from a passage that only tells us what church unity should look like. But I think that there's a very powerful point of application here for our culture and peer. In order to stand firm, in order to struggle side by side with other Christians for the faith of the gospel, that demands of us a certain amount of commitment. Within our context, there is this notion of easy come, easy go church. Maybe you come here on Sunday mornings and as soon as the service is over, you're gone. And you come and do that every week. And you're not really known here. The church doesn't really know you. And you don't really know too many people either. I'm glad that you come here. But what the Lord is saying to you this morning is that that's not a total commitment. In order to stand firm and to struggle with other people, we have to be engaged in ministry. We have to be involved in the life of this church. And the relationship between these ideas goes back to verse 27, the beginning. Letting our manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're not involved in ministry, then you can't stand firm with other believers. If you're not sold out for Christ, you can't struggle with other believers for the faith of the gospel. If you have an easy-come, easy-go Christianity, if you kind of throw some money in the offering plate a little while, you come to church to check off your Sunday church box, you can't do these things that Paul's talking about. And Paul's encouragement and commandment to you is that type of Christianity is not what Jesus calls you to. Your response to the gospel is in light of the worth of it. Jesus is far more worthy than just occasionally attending church and just kind of a little bit being involved in the life of this church. What Jesus demands of you is everything. Jesus is not content to be an observer on the sidelines. He wants it all. 
He wants your whole life. And the way you know whether your life is given to him is if you're standing firm and if you're struggling with other believers. We need more of that here, dear Christian. I want this church, Jesus wants this church to be a bastion of unity that as we come and we hear from God, our lives, our love for Jesus Christ is deepened and people are saved, that baptisms are a thing that regularly happen here and that we send out people to the most distant parts of the world for the faith of the gospel. And the way we do that, the way we get there, is we start with holiness. We start with radically being sold out for Christ. And that's not something you do, that's something in your heart. What we need to do is we need to repent of this cultural Christianity. We need to be, feel conviction about it. That yes, Lord, yes, Pastor, I know, I, know that, I know that I'm not living right. Jesus wants all of you. And as you give more to him, this church as a body will be built up more and more and more. Father, we give you great praise for the gift of your son. Father, we confess as a church this morning that Jesus is worthy. Not just a little worthy, but eternally worthy. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. Always and only, Father. And we pray that by the power of the Spirit that you would transform our lives, that our lives would be an accurate reflection of the worth of the gospel. And Father, as you do that, you would build this body up, that we would be a church of strong unity, that we would individually and corporately fight to stand firm in the Spirit of God, that we would individually and corporately fight, that we would struggle with one another in love for the faith of the gospel. And that Father, as opposition comes, we would confront it full force as a whole church and Father that as we do this we would be a bastion of hope in this lost world do great things in this church Father convict us of our sin and grant us more fervent and a passionate pursuit of unity we give you all praise Father it's in Christ's name and by the power of the Spirit we pray Amen